Hey guys, just quick context. This episode was recorded as a tangent cast way back when I was doing my Build Up to the Civil War series, and I'm re-releasing it to all my listeners as a holiday gift. Please enjoy. Thanks! Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. If you're listening to this tangent cast, thank you so much for being a patron and financially supporting Sad Girl Study Guides. Before we dive into this tangent cast, I do just want to give a short content warning because there is going to be some discussion of statutory rape within this podcast. If that is something you're sensitive to, I would personally suggest skipping this particular tangent cast. I'm sorry if it is something you're sensitive to. Moving on. In this particular tangent cast, I'm going to be exploring the lives and times of one of my personal favorite utopian cults, the Oneida community. Unlike other cults in American history, the Oneidas weren't particularly murderous, although, as we will see, they definitely did have their problematic aspects. This tangent cast includes silverware, a cameo by Satan, and some really problematic sexual practices. Let's begin. To really understand the Oneida community, we have to understand its founder, John Humphrey Noyes. Noyes was born September 3rd, 1811, in Vermont. He was the fourth of nine children. His family was pretty well off. After all, his father did spend two years in the House of Representatives, while his mother was super religious. His father was a little bit less religious. After leaving Congress, he did go on a bit of a downward spiral and eventually became an alcoholic later in life, which caused more than a little tension within the Noyes family. When he was nine, his parents sent John to Amherst, Massachusetts to get a formal education. Young John Humphrey struggled with some really serious homesickness while in Amherst, but within a year, the entire family, including John Humphrey, moved to Putney, Vermont, and he started attending a local school there, so the homesickness problem was mostly resolved. In 1826, when he was super old, aka 15, he started going to college at Dartmouth College, which happens to be the college that I went to. Although, unlike John Humphrey Noyes, I was not 15 when I began college because I am an utter failure. During his time at Dartmouth, John got the reputation for being kind of into the ladies, but he decided that it was going to go nowhere because while he loved women, he was also pretty socially awkward and he decided that he was completely repulsive because he had red hair and freckles, which, okay, like red hair and freckles are perfectly socially acceptable things to have, in my opinion. He decided that because of his awkwardness and his freckles, he was doomed to be single and celibate for the rest of his life. 
1830, he graduated college at the age of 19 and started to train to be a lawyer under the guidance of his brother-in-law. It looked like he had a set plan for life. He would become a lawyer, eventually open his own law practice, settle down, get married, etc., etc. But all that changed in the summer of 1831, because that summer he went to a religious revival meeting with his mother. And to understand this religious revival meeting and why that would change everything, we need to talk a little bit about a thing that the U.S. was in the middle of, known as the Second Great Awakening. Basically, the Second Great Awakening was this religious revival fury that sort of swept the United States during the 1830s and 1840s. When you think Second Great Awakening, think giant open-air religious meetings in the middle of fields. The Second Great Awakening is going to lead to a ton of new religious movements in the United States, the most famous of which is probably the Mormons, but the Mormons aren't the only religious movement that comes out of it. During the Second Great Awakening, American Protestant religion starts to shift away from traditional Puritan and Calvinist ideals around predestination into a new mode of religious thought where people could steer their religious fates and as a result have a duty to change the world. Because of these new ideas, we see this huge increase in people believing in the second coming of Christ, which is known as Millerianism, I think that's how you pronounce it, as well as this huge new growth of social activism. Because if you have the duty to change the world, you might as well improve it through social outreach. This social activism is going to influence more than just religious life in the United States. It's going to feed into new movements like abolitionism and the push against alcohol, as well as the slow birth of the women's movement. John Humphrey Noyes is going to be inspired by both the social activism angle of the Second Great Awakening, as well as the whole Second Coming of Jesus Christ angle, for both good and bad. After this whole religious awakening that John Humphrey Noyes has in 1831, he decides that his fate isn't in law and instead he decides to enter the seminary. He first goes to the Andover Theological Seminary, but quickly decides it isn't serious enough for him, and instead transfers to the Yale Theological Seminary. He spends two years at Yale, and in 1833, he gets his ministry license from the Yale Theological Seminary. This means that he can now preach, he's a minister, he's on his way to changing the world. During his time at Yale slash in New Haven, more generally, John Humphrey Noyes also starts getting involved in anti-slavery issues. He becomes really interested in abolition and trying to stop the spread of slavery in the United States, which is an issue I think in 2019 we can all hopefully get behind. There's another issue he also gets really interested in, the issue of sexuality and sin. John Humphrey Noyes, as far as we know, is still a virgin at this time, but he is still obsessed with women. And this obsession is getting a little bit pathological, if you ask me. 
he is consumed with his lust. And he decides the best way to deal with this obsession is this new religious mode of thought known as perfectionism. Perfectionism is this religious concept that people could get rid of all of their sin simply by accepting the grace of God. For pretty obvious reasons, perfectionism is a pretty controversial idea in the 1800s, and when Noyes publicly begins preaching ideas around perfectionism, he pretty quickly gets kicked out of the Yale Seminary and gets stripped of the right to preach. Even though he loses his preaching abilities, he does gain his two first followers. Once he's kicked out of Yale, John Humphrey Noyes decides to leave New Haven and go up to New York City. He takes his first two followers along with him. His time in New York doesn't go great. He starts having visions, becomes convinced that he's Satan, becomes convinced that his female follower is Satan, wanders around a bit, everyone thinks he's insane. Yeah, it's a mess. After a few weeks, though, he calms down and decides that all of these visions, including one vision that convinces him that the millennium of revelations from the book of revelations had already begun is proof that he should be a prophet which yeah i don't really think that's proof of anything john after he calms down he briefly returns first to putney vermont where his family is and to be honest his family is more than a little concerned for john humphrey noise and then he goes back to new haven connecticut and starts working for a perfectionist newspaper. Pretty soon he is running the newspaper and he starts getting more and more supporters and he's spreading his ideas around perfectionism and around the concept that the millennium of revelation has already happened. During this time he starts getting interested in ideas around spiritual marriage, which eventually develops into Noyes' theory that there will be no marriage in heaven, which means that there's no marriage on earth, which eventually morphs into this idea that all women should be married to all men, which develops into a system that he calls complex marriage. By 1837, Noyes' views towards, well, everything are so controversial that he loses his preaching license. The next year, he gets married to a young woman named Harriet Holton, who had lent him $80, which also conveniently keeps him out of debt. Even though John Humphrey Noyes had already been making a pretty big deal over the whole complex marriage thing and that monogamous marriage shouldn't exist on earth, he agrees to be exclusive to Harriet, and the two will eventually have a single surviving child, a son, together. Two years after his marriage to Harriet, he starts a community with his followers in his childhood hometown of Putney, Vermont. He tells his followers that they are going to live like heaven on earth, which, according to John Humphrey Noyes, means they're going to be living totally communally. Everyone will be equal, including women, which I have to admit is pretty progressive of old John, and everyone is going to share work. Capitalism is banned. 
In the Putney community, most of the work is focused on printing a newsletter to continue spreading Noise's views, as well as really focusing on sp spiritual well-being and prayer. During Noise's time at the Putney community, he continues developing his ideas around complex marriage and also starts to develop his views around birth control. Basically, when it comes to birth control, Noise thinks the responsibility should fall on men, aka preventing male ejaculation, aka men aren't allowed to come, aka we stand a misandrist king. However, the Putney community doesn't last all that long. In 1847, Noyes gets arrested for adultery because, remember, in this community, we're following that whole complex marriage thing, which means Noyes most likely was not being faithful for was not being faithful to his wife, and even though he does get arrested for adultery, he manages to get out of jail thanks to a few thanks to a two thousand dollar bail. Once Noyes is out of prison, he realizes that Vermont maybe isn't the friendliest place for him and his followers. Once he is safely out of prison, Noyes moves everyone to upstate New York to open a brand new community. And this is going to be the community that is known as the Oneida community because the community is going to be at Oneida Creek nearby Utica, New York. And you might be asking, why upstate New York of all places? Basically, upstate New York was the center of the Second Great Awakening. In fact, upstate New York was seeing so many fire and brimstone type of revivals that it was known as the Burned Over District. So if you were a slightly more radical religious group in the 1830s and 1840s, upstate New York was exactly where you wanted to be. By February 1848, the Oneida community by Oneida Creek really starts taking off. Members start going there. And at its height, the Oneida community is going to have over 300 members, which I know sounds pretty small by current standards, but for what it was, that really isn't so shabby. And also, the Oneida Commune in upstate New York isn't the only Oneida community. There are going to be other ones in Vermont and Connecticut. In the Oneida Commune, Noyes is going to continue his usual spiel about communal property and women and men being equal and all of that. He's also going to start a thing where women are allowed to wear pants, albeit under knee-length skirts, and are allowed to have short hair, which was very scandalous and really put the Oneidas on the map. Because, God forbid, we reveal that women, one, have ankles, and two, have necks. He also starts this thing called mutual criticism, where everyone would basically criticize each other via orderly, like, committees in order to get rid of bad traits, which honestly, to me, sounds like a very well-run writer's workshop and, like, my worst nightmare. Once the Oneida community starts, Norris decides that in order to continue this idea of communal living, children 
are going to be raised communally. As soon as infants were weaned from their mothers, they were sent to the special house known as the children's house where they were raised by special teachers and nursemaids and they only got to see their mothers once a week and their fathers even less frequently. The children would actually get punished if they cried for their parents and this whole raising of children communally was definitely a little controversial within the commune. And then we get to the slightly more ickier aspect of the Oneida community, and this is where I'm going to throw up a little content warning for statutory rape. Noyes also continued to develop his complex marriage and his ideas around polygamy and men not being able to ejaculate. The Oneidas in popular press at the time were accused of like having all these orgies and group sex activities, but that wasn't the case. Noise was really strict about when sex could happen and under what circumstances, which meant that it didn't actually happen all that frequently. And due to the whole no male ejaculation, there were very few children. And one of the sources I read, it said that there were only 44 children born in the first 20 years of the Oneida's existence, which is a crazy low birth rate. But then John Humphrey Noyes decided to take things one step further, and he added a cute new twist to the whole complex marriage. He did this thing called Ascending Fellowship, which is essentially statutory rape. Basically, he would have older women act as sexual mentors for teenage boys, which is just incredibly creepy. And John Humphrey Noyes is like, no, this is a great idea. If older women are having sex with teenage boys, we don't need to worry about pregnancy because the older women can't get pregnant, which don't do that, please. That is incredibly creepy. And then he took it one step further by doing the same ascending fellowship thing with teenage girls and older guys. And then to make it even worse, Noise kept volunteering himself to be an ascending fellow for various younger female relatives of his, like his nieces and cousins. Yeah, it's not great. And it's going to get even worse because by the late 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, Noyes started to get into eugenics. He wanted to control who was having children with whom and what sort of children would result from those unions in order to create a master race of members of the Oneida community. Basically, he had realized that, yeah, the birth rate was way too low. And he was like, let's step it up and produce more children, but I'm going to be in charge of how these children are produced, and we're going to make sure they are the best kids ever. And I guess he was really convincing at the whole, I'm going to be in charge of organizing this, because he got 53 women and 38 men to sign on to this organized breeding program, and eventually he narrowed down the list of people who signed on until he had decided on six men and six women who would be responsible for creating the special new breeding program. And of course, he signed himself up as one of the six men and said that he would be responsible for breeding 
for creating nine new members of the Oneida community within the first year, because of course he did. John Humphrey Noyes, you creepy pedophiliac perv. So yeah, it's, it's really gross. I'm feeling super gross as I'm discussing it. By 18, by the early 1870s, people on the outside began finding out about some of the more questionable aspects of the Oneida community and began being like, hey, maybe we should shut this whole thing down. They were led by a professor from nearby Hamilton College who started leading mass protest meetings against the Oneida and tried to get the New York State Legislature to intervene and limit the Oneida's ability to practice freely. And yes, freedom of religion is a great thing, but I think there should be limits to, you know, prevent statutory rape and eugenics. While all this on the outside was going on, there was also an internal split within the Oneida community the first, between the first generation, aka the generation that had come in with noise, and the younger generation who had been born into it over the best way to raise children and how old children should be when they got sexually initiated, which is such a fun sentence to say. By 1879, things came to a head when New York State charged Noyes with statutory rape, which is a really fair thing to charge him with. He ended up finding out about the charge before he could get arrested, and he fled up to Canada to avoid prison. Without him, like, actually on site, the entire commune in upstate New York collapsed, most of the members decided to enter into traditional marriages, go back to living in normal households with their biological children, take up capitalism, etc., etc. Noyes himself ended up dying in Canada in 1886. Ultimately, the entire system of the Oneida community, including the non-New York communities also fell apart, and the last member of the Oneida community died in 1950. Technically, the Oneida still survives today. Nowadays, they're most known for making silverware, which is because after the commune itself began falling apart, some of the members created a cutlery company in the 1880s. So yeah, that is the Oneida. My favorite 1840s quasi-utopian cult that didn't murder anyone, but definitely did some icky sex stuff. I thought that was a... I thought they were an appropriate tangent cast to do right now because a lot of what they were doing was going on sort of in the background of Zachary Taylor and Millard Fillmore's presidency, as well as in the presidency of some upcoming presidents. So for those fans of the podcast who prefer bullet notes to a full-on lecture, here is a quick recap. The Oneida was started by John Humphrey Noyes. Noyes was born into a wealthy, well-off Vermont family. He went to Dartmouth College, where he was super into women, but decided he was too socially awkward to ever get laid. After graduating college, he was all set to be a lawyer, but then he went to a religious revival ceremony and decided that religion was his future. He quit the whole law thing and attended the Yale Theological Seminary. 
During his time at Yale, he got super into this new religious movement known as perfectionism, which suggested that people could just be free of sin by accepting the grace of God. Perfectionism was pretty controversial, especially Noyes' beliefs around it, which involved some spiritual marriage aspects, and he ended up losing his license to preach. But he started getting a bit of a following. After losing his license, he briefly moved up to New York, where he had a series of visions, including one that convinced him that the millennium of revelations had already begun and that he was a prophet of sorts. After having these visions, he returned back to New Haven and started working on a newspaper and getting even more followers. In 1840, he moved his followers to a community in Putney where he decided that they were going to live as if they were heaven on earth, aka living totally communally in total equality under a system known as complex marriage, where basically everyone was married to everyone else. The Putney community ended up collapsing in 1847 when Noyes was arrested for adultery because, yes, technically he was cheating on his wife, but he didn't let that stop him. Instead, he moved his followers to upstate New York, where he created the community he was most famous for, the Oneida community. On the surface, the Oneida community was pretty great. Men and women were equal. Women got to wear pants and have short hair. The children were all raised communally, although they were only allowed to see their parents once a week and were punished if they cried for their parents. But there were some weird things under the surface, like this whole communal punishment thing and some of the sex stuff that Noise was doing that basically involved statutory rape under what was known as ascending fellowships and eugenics. Yeah, not great. And then there was the fact that John Humphrey Noyes kept having sex with his younger female relatives, which was especially not great. By the 1870s, some rumors of the more questionable aspects of the Oneida came out to the public, who were really not big fans of this. In 1879, Noyes was charged with statutory rape, fled to Canada, and the commune started to crumble. By 1880, the commune basically ended, and instead, members went into making silverware, which is what they're most known for today. The last living member of the Oneida community died in 1950. So yeah, that's the Oneida community. Most of my research from this tangent cast came from Ellen Whalen Smith's book, Oneida from Free Love Utopia to the Well-Set Table, Kathleen Hogan's article on the Oneida, Morris Bishop's article, The Great Oneida Lovin, and the Virginia Commonwealth University's Social Welfare History Project's website on the Oneida community. As always, a full bibliography and relevant images are available on my website, sadgirlstudyguides.com. Once again, if you're listening to this tangent cast, thank you so much for your financial support and for being a patron. If you want more info about being a patron, go to patreon.com slash sadgirlstudyguides. In the next normal full-length episode of the podcast, 
I'll be covering 14th president and extreme sad boy and incompetent leader Franklin Pierce. Until then, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. You can reach me at social media on Twitter at sadgirlstudypod or on Instagram at sad at sadgirlstudy. The best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or Spotify, and let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks.